morning. morning. Welcome to New Life. We're so glad you're here. If you're here for the first time or you're watching online for the first time, you come every week. I'm really glad you're here. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor, and we're finishing up a series that we've called Mountain Monologues. Actually, there's one more week after this one, but week 19, it's hard for me to believe that it was uh, April and we started this series and those 19 weeks flew by. And uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about some really tough stuff. I said a couple weeks ago when I was uh, preaching that these few uh, ending sermons in the series, um, Mountain Monologues, based on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has some really hard things to say. And last week we saw that. Pastor Barry did a fine job of explaining how um, we're supposed to look the same on the inside and the outside, that the fruit that we bear, which is the the works of our lives, will demonstrate whether, in this case, uh, Jesus was talking about false teachers and true teachers. Good teachers bear good fruit. That is, the results of their lives are, are good. Um, and the false teachers, then obviously the results of their lives are bad. And uh, Jesus called those false teachers wolves in sheep's clothing. But today, Jesus offers the strongest statements in the entire Sermon on the Mount. The verses that we're about to go through have caused a lot of intense debate, discussion, and argument in the church down through the centuries because Jesus made it very clear that we can't just call him Lord and think that that's enough to be saved. Jesus tells us we actually have to live with him as Lord. And Lord means owner, master. Billions of people in the world, billions, say Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But what Jesus is going to remind us today is saying that isn't enough. It isn't enough to pray a prayer. It isn't enough to say Jesus is Lord. But there actually has to be a a difference in our lives. And so the take-home point for today, and those of you who are new, the take-home point is the one point we make from Scripture in our message gives us a, a focus for where we're going, and, uh, and actually, hopefully, we can take it home with us. That's why it's called the take-home point. Consider it, reflect on, and live it out in the week ahead. So here it is. Faith in Jesus is a matter of trust and action. There are four key words in that. Faith, Jesus, trust, action. Faith in Jesus is not a nice gullibility. It isn't believing something despite the facts. Believing in Jesus, Savior and Lord, is actually a very reasonable thing to do. There's no reasonable historian who doubts that there was a man named Jesus Christ, that there was a man who lived in Nazareth and spent his time in Israel. And and no reasonable person actually believes. In fact, there are Jewish historians as well as Roman historians who had no real desire to promote Jesus, who said that he was crucified. And they say either that he rose from the dead or he was alleged to have risen from the dead. But the real evidence that Jesus rose from the dead is what happened in the 300 years after his resurrection. Because the Roman Empire, which sought to destroy Christianity in 300 years, became Christian. In 300 years, the institution that thought that they could stamp out this little movement of this rabble-rouser named Jesus endorsed the, the faith that they sought to stamp out. So faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord as we'll see today, is not just information, but there's action that has to be involved. It isn't just reading your Bible or listening to the pastor read the Bible and nodding our head in agreement. Faith in Jesus involves trusting him as Lord to the point that it leads to transform lives. There's a difference on the inside that is evident on the outside. It means that we let the Holy Spirit's power work in us. Faith isn't believing in Jesus and then doing our best. It isn't just, you know, positive thinking. 
It's believing in Jesus to the point where it actually changes who we are. Jesus called it being born again. As Pastor Barry showed us last weekend, and he did it so well with the illustration, if you were here last weekend, remember the nine and a half pound cantaloupe? He was a little kid, and they had the, the, the produce garden, and they produced this nine and a half pound cantaloupe. But when they cut it open and ate it, it tasted like squash and pumpkin. So if you weren't here, I mean, the point is pretty easy to see. It wasn't what it appeared to be. And in our lives, the results of our lives need to be consistent that what we, we say we are, you know, gets lived out in our everyday lives. So our heart reflects who we are. So Jesus today, though, is going to go a step further. He, he's going to say more than there needs to be a consistency between our profession of faith and our action, he's going to say this. He tells us that even our actions aren't proof that our hearts are in the right place. Even our actions aren't always enough. So how's that possible? Well, that's what we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his perfect life, his sacrificial death in our place that he was willing to give up his life so that we could have a relationship with you, that we could be restored uh, and redeemed from our sin. God, we thank you that he rose from the dead and that he sent his Holy Spirit to us so that we can live those new lives that we're talking about in this series. And God, today we pray that you would open up our minds, our hearts, our spirits by your Holy Spirit, that we can not only hear your truth, but that we'll be empowered to live it out in truth and love in the week ahead. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, you can turn there. If you have your Mountain Monologue study guide, it's on page 43. Uh, it's also going to be up on the screen. So Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So Jesus makes two distinct points in these brief but powerful words. The first one is, Jesus said, words alone don't demonstrate salvation. Words alone don't demonstrate salvation. When Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, he was saying that some people will enter the kingdom of heaven. Some people who say, Lord, Lord, will get to go to heaven. Who are they? He says, they're the people who do the will of his Father in heaven. So Jesus' followers have argued about this for the last couple thousand years, really. Do we have to do things in order for God to save us, to love us, or, or do we get saved by faith alone? Is it faith alone or is it works? Which is it? And we have to admit that every religion in the world includes works as a requirement for salvation or good standing in that religion. Most of the world's religions have a God or gods, and the goal is to please or appease them by our good works. And there are a lot of people who think that that's the way it is in the Christian faith as well, that if we do enough good works, then God will accept us. But here's the problem. It's really the million-dollar question. If we're going to do good works, how good is good enough? And, and no one can ever figure that out. No one can ever figure out how good is good enough. In fact, if we could be good enough to go to heaven in our own effort, then heaven would be nothing more than one big bragging match. Have you ever thought about that? You go to heaven and you say, hey, how did you get in here? Oh, well, I gave a kidney to my son. What did you do? 
Well, I, I saved 10 people from a burning building. What did you do? Well, I invented a cure for a disease that saved millions of people. What did you do? And forever we would just be going back and forth saying, what did you do? But here's the fact. <laughs> the fact is we don't get to heaven by what we do. We get to heaven by what Jesus already did. The Protestant reformers of all varieties, Presbyterians, Methodists, Lutherans, even the Anabaptists, all agreed, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, how can we disagree with that? Because it wasn't the reformers who said that. It was the apostle Paul. We don't get to heaven by what we do. We get to heaven by what Jesus did. His sacrificial death on the cross after living a perfect life is how we get saved. It's a gift that he gives to us. I want you to fast forward a few months to Christmas. I want you to picture you're around your family's Christmas tree and somebody in the family gets a Christmas present. And when they open up the present, they jump up and shout, look what I did. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? Nobody does that. People jump up and maybe if they're really excited and they say, thank you. Thank you for this amazing gift. And that's what we're called to do. When we have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord in our lives, when he has purchased our lives from death, what we do is when we wake up in the morning, we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for a new day. Thank you for the opportunity to live this life that you've given me. And as we go about the day, if we consider the alternative, if we don't have Jesus as Lord and Savior in our lives, what that means is one day we're ultimately going to be separated from him forever. We would go about our day saying, what can I do to say thank you? How can I say thank you for what I've received? Remember what I said right after I read Matthew 7, 21 to 23? I said that Jesus made two distinct points in this brief comment. First, Jesus said, words alone don't demonstrate salvation. But, you know, even in the early church, people believed that it was words alone. Sometimes they just thought if we could just say, Lord, Lord, we'd get to go to heaven. And so Jesus' half-brother James wrote these words to help us to understand words aren't enough. He wrote these words. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So then, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James was not saying that we have to do works in order to be saved. What he was saying is that when we are saved, we do good works as a way of saying thank you. True faith demonstrates itself in works. Saying, Lord, Lord, is easy. Anybody can say that. Any human being can say, Lord, Lord. But what Jesus wanted us to remember is living with him as Lord is an entirely another matter. It means that we invest and store our time, our talents, our treasure and touch in heaven, as we've talked about in this message. It means that we work hard to see that God's kingdom comes on the earth as it's already being done in heaven, as we've talked about in this Sermon on the Mount. It means that our lives are different. When I was in high school, I, I was going to say a couple years ago, a couple, several decades ago, when I was in high school, I had a mentor and a pastor named Andy Wygant. And what he used to say is, if you want to know if somebody's really following Jesus, all you have to do is look at their calendar and their checkbook. Now today, we might not have a calendar. We might have a smartphone that has all that information. We might not even have a checkbook. We might just have an online account, whatever. But what it, what it means is the same thing. 
how we spend and invest our time, our talents, our treasure and touch demonstrates who is really Lord in our lives. So if we were to switch smartphones right now and look up the calendar app, what would it say about who's Lord in our lives? Would people be able to tell that it's Jesus or would it be our work? Would it be our hobbies? Would it be our families? What if we shared the financial information we had with each other? Would people be able to tell by the bottom line of our lives who's really Lord of our lives? Jesus told us that we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything we need will be added to us. And that's also in the Sermon on the Mount. And we've divided this sermon into 20 messages for our convenience. But what Jesus was saying throughout is what we do reveals what we believe about God regardless of what we say. That's why Jesus said that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of his Father in heaven. I read a great question a couple weeks ago. I like questions because, you know, they get the mind going. They make us consider maybe different ways of thinking about life and looking about life. And James Clear wrote this question. How long will you put off what you are capable of doing just to continue what you are comfortable doing? How long will you put off what you're capable of doing just to continue doing what you're comfortable doing. It pushes us to consider why we get stuck in the same routine day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, or why we get stuck in the same comfort zone. If Jesus is Lord, would we really stay in the same comfort zone? If Jesus is Lord, would we really stay in the same routine? Or would there be something different than the life to which we've grown accustomed? The saddest thing that could ever happen in our lives is one day to stand in front of Jesus and to hear him say, after we say, Lord, Lord, I don't know you. And the reason it's the saddest thing is because no one ever has to experience that. No one ever has to hear Jesus say, I don't know you. All we have to do is trust Jesus as Savior and Lord and live with him as Savior and Lord in the Holy Spirit's power. Now, I say all we have to do. Huh, that's an incredible amount. That's why I say, you know, the Christian life is simple, but it's not easy. Because what it means is we're going to turn over control of our time, our talents, our treasure, our touch, our lives to the control of Jesus. But the absurd thing is how we would ever think that we could do a better job running our lives than the God of the universe who created and designed us. Than Jesus who died on the cross to save us from our sins. And the Holy Spirit who can and will live inside of us to empower us to do the things that we will never do apart from him. Why is it that we think that we can do a better job? Well, it's simple. The, the reason we do that is because we're fallen, broken people. That's what we are. We are born that way and we grow up that way until the Lord of the universe actually does become Lord and Savior in our lives. And we struggle and struggle and struggle to believe the truth rather than the lies of the devil. The devil's lying to us all the time. And, and he doesn't want us to, to understand that life is, it's supposed to be a life of meaning, a life of significance, a life of power, a life of transformation. And even after we do trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, the devil is still going to lie to us. So I said Jesus made two points in these brief comments. We've only covered one, and that is that words alone don't demonstrate salvation. Here's the second point. Even the ability to do supernatural works in Jesus' name is no assurance that we're saved. I'll tell you the truth. There are no words in Jesus' you know, red-letter edition of the Bible where Jesus is speaking than these words that have caused me more time in prayer and reflection 
than the ones he said. On that day, which is the day we see Jesus face to face, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So how is it possible to prophesy in Jesus' name, to cast demons out in Jesus' name, to do mighty works in Jesus' name, and not to have Jesus as Lord and Savior in our lives? The short answer to that question is easily. Here's how it happens. I, I, I went through the scriptures in my mind as I was thinking about that, in the life of Jesus in particular, and in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sent out the 12 disciples for the very first time to preach, to teach, to cast out demons, and to heal people. And in Luke chapter 15, when Jesus sent out 70 believers to do the same thing, they were able to do everything that Jesus told them to do because they had Jesus' authority. I want you to consider this. The authority of Jesus, the name of Jesus, is enough to cast out demons. How do I know that? Because in Mark chapter uh, 9, it is, John, one of the disciples, came to Jesus, and he was upset because there was a guy casting demons out in Jesus' name. We read it here. It says this. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting demons out in your name, and we tried to stop him but he, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be soon able afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. Now, we don't know whether that person ultimately even ended up in heaven, but he was just using the name and authority of Jesus to cast demons out of people. Jesus gave us a big clue to the motivation of a person using his name to prophesy, cast out demons, and other miracles when he said, And then I will declare to them, Depart from, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's the key phrase, workers of lawlessness. We can use Jesus' authority or desire his authority. For our own purposes, we can use Jesus' name to work lawlessness in our lives, in other people's lives. We see it all the time in hate groups. Specifically, we see it in hate groups that twist the name of Jesus and his purposes for their own evil actions and ends. So Jesus made it very clear. He receives those who call him Lord, who live in the Holy Spirit's power, and do his heavenly Father's will. Three things. First of all, call him Lord live in the power of the Holy Spirit, and then do His heavenly Father's will. Let's look at each of those statements. Calling Jesus Lord means we acknowledge His right to control our calendars, our checkbooks, our smartphones, and our online activities. He gets to be in charge of all of that. It means, and we're going to be very specific right here for a moment, it means if our marriages are struggling, that what we don't do is go to the world and say, well, this is what the world says. But we go to what Jesus said, what the Word of God says. And we know that God created marriage in the original creation between a man and a woman to glorify himself and to cause his plan and purpose to be carried out on the earth. So if you're in a marriage that's struggling right now, actually, we're going to take a moment. Every one of you on your chair had this little card. It says marriage mentoring. And it says we would like to be mentored. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to take a minute. You're going to look at this card. And if you need mentoring in your marriage, you want some help with your marriage, we have been training marriage mentors. We have some couples that have been married for 10 years or longer. Um, they haven't had perfect marriages because none of us do, but their marriages are rooted in Jesus and they're ready to help you move along in your marriage to come from wherever you are to a better place in your marriage. Now, it has a box there that says we'd like to be married, mentored. If you want to be mentored, put that check mark in that box 
Fill in that box and then give us information. The rest of you are going to just turn your card upside down like this and put it in the offering uh, box as it comes by. So everybody turns one in. So if you need one, then you, know, you won't be singled out. The other thing I need to tell you is if you think your mother-in-law needs marriage mentoring, you cannot fill out her name, okay? If you think your son or daughter needs marriage mentoring, you can't fill out their name. Because what we've learned here at New Life over the years is if you don't think you need help, then we can't help you. If somebody else thinks you need help, we probably can't help you. Only if you think you need help. So let's take a moment right now. There's going to be a little bit of music for you to fill it out, and then we're going to have the ushers come forward, and they're going to um, you know, let you turn in your card. Okay, guys, you can come up and receive the cards. Okay, so first we call Jesus Lord. That's the first thing we do. The second thing is we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that look like? The Apostle Paul told us in Galatians 5, he said, when the Holy Spirit is guiding and leading our lives, we demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. And that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It also means that we will get out of those comfort zones and we will do what God created us to do. And, and it might even be beyond our natural capabilities because He has the power of the Holy Spirit to let us do things that we could never even do in our natural capacity. And then doing our Heavenly Father's will means basically living out the Sermon on the Mount. If we just lived out what's in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we would be you know, completing the, the life that is living in our Heavenly Father's will. And, and I said back in April, back at Easter, when we started this series, that we're not going to be able to do any of this 
without the active power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. It's never truer than when we look at these words that we're going through right now. One of the things I've learned over the decades as, follower, as a follower of Jesus is this. The devil's always lying to us. He's always whispering things in our ear like this. You're never going to be perfect, so why would you try? You're never going to change. You're just going to keep doing the same old things, so why would you try? Why do you trust in Jesus? Why do you think he can make a difference in your life? Jesus is a fairy tale. He's a myth. Now, here's the question I want to ask to those statements. Why would we believe a liar and a loser? Why would we believe somebody who only knows how to lie and who has already lost? A long time ago, I read a book by John Eldridge in which he said, never agree with the enemy. The enemy is the devil. So when you have, have you ever had this idea like you go, you go I'm so stupid. Well, that's from the devil. That's not from God. God is not going to say, you're so stupid. No, have you done stupid things? I'm guessing you have. I know I have. But that doesn't make us stupid, right? You know, when somebody, if somebody says, I'm a loser. Well, well, no, you might have lost. We've all lost in life at certain things. But because God created us, because God actually believes in us, we're not losers. Because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, we're worth one Jesus, which means we're of infinite worth. And so when we want to live this life, the devil's going to tell us not to try. He's going to tell us we can't do it. And when we fail, we're going to be inclined to believe in him. And actually, when we look at the circumstances of our lives, Henry Blackaby says this in his, in his book, Experiencing God. We look at the circumstances of our lives, especially the negative circumstances of our lives. And from that place, we look out and we say, God can't be good. God can't be trusted. But here's the thing that we all need to remember God knows our circumstances. And it's because God knows our circumstances that Jesus came. Jesus came to the earth to live a perfect life because we could not do that. Our circumstances were such that we were, we were you know, stuck in the mud, if you will. And some of us are in worse circumstances than others, but all of us are in the same circumstance of needing a Savior and needing a Lord to guide us. And so Jesus came. And that's why he died and rose again and sends his Holy Spirit. So faith in Jesus is a matter of trust and action. When we trust him and when we allow the Holy Spirit to guide our actions, no one can imagine the results. That's the thing that I want all of us to understand. Nobody can know what each of us can be or do, be and do, if we simply let the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ be lived out in the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's one thing we know for sure, that one day, if Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord in our lives, if we're living in the power of the Holy Spirit, one day when we stand face to face with Jesus and we say, Lord, Lord, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master's kingdom. Jesus knew that the crowd that was listening to him that day needed him. He knew that if he didn't die on the cross for them, they would never be able to fulfill what he was telling them they needed to do in their lives. He knew that apart from the Holy Spirit, he would send to his church that none of us would ever be able to say, Lord, Lord, and mean it and live it out in power. And that's why Jesus did everything that he did in, in, in saving us, or redeeming us, empowering us and giving us this new life to live. Now, one of the things that Jesus did is he told the people in his own day, and because we have his words, the people in our day, how much it costs, uh, you know, the cost of calling him Lord and also the benefit. 
So the cost of calling Jesus Lord is we no longer get to control our lives. We no longer get to be in charge. He gets to be in charge of our time, of our talents, of our treasure, of our touch, of our lives. And what that means is where he leads us, we will follow. And it might even mean in this life, it could mean death. It does mean death in some cases around the world today. It could mean it in our lives. What it certainly will mean is every day we will sacrifice. And I put that in quotes because our sacrifices aren't always really big. Last night we had baptisms and I put my hand in the baptismal water and it was cold. Okay, you don't care, but I had to get into it. You see, it was cold. And I said to myself, Jesus died on the cross. I can probably get in a cold tank of water and baptize somebody. But we think that our problems are big, right? Whether it's getting into a cold tank of water or whatever it might be. But the truth is that if we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, there will be a cost. But what about the benefits? The benefits are we now have the God of the universe who is our heavenly Father. Jesus said we get to call him Father, guiding our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we get to be and do things that we could never have imagined. We get to live lives of eternal significance, every single one of us. We get to come one day face to face with Jesus and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter the joy of your master's kingdom, and we get to be with him forever. Those are the benefits, and that's just a couple. If I sat here and listed all the benefits of following Jesus, we would be here for the rest of the day. And so it really comes down to this. Are we going to say, Lord, Lord, or are we going to mean, Lord, Lord? The relationship with Jesus guides us once we really have a relationship with Jesus. And that's why we can say today's next step and mean it. I will let my relationship with Jesus guide what I think, say, and do this week. I will let my relationship with Jesus guide what I think, say, and do this week. Imagine what that's going to be like in our families. Imagine what it's going to be like in our workplaces. Imagine what it's going to be like in our schools. Knock students who go back on Wednesday. BC3 students who go back tomorrow, Freeport students who already went back. Imagine what it's going to be like when Jesus is Lord and Savior in our lives and we live out of our comfort zone, out of our routines, and let Him truly be Lord. When that happens, when that happens, it doesn't happen when we say, Lord, Lord. It happens when we surrender control of our lives and live with Jesus as Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you believe in us, that you have more in store for us than we could ever ask or imagine, that our lives are of eternal significance because you sent your son Jesus to die and rise again and send his spirit so that we can live in your power. God, I pray today that every single one of us will believe that truth and that we will apply action to that truth so that you can be glorified, so that your salvation will come not only here in Saxonburg and in our lives, but across the globe. God, we thank you in this moment that your life and your truth and your way is the one way, the one life, the one truth that we can live now and forever to your glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.